Welcome to the Love Fly podcast. It's Paul Tizard, fear of flying coach for 25 years. And today's special guest is Adele Roberts from the Civil Aviation Authority. Welcome, Adele. Thank you so, so much. Sorry, were you going to say something then? And I've just stepped all over you. No, it's fine. (laughs) So you're you're used to taking charge. And let's talk about, so (laughs) I've known Adele now for for many years because Adele was one of the pilots that used to speak on the Virgin Flying Without Fear programme. And I used to love the story that used to tell how you got into flying and stuff. And and if you don't tell them, I shall tell them that intro used to, that always used to make me laugh. But anyway, how did you get into flying? And just tell us, yeah. I think for starters, you've got to remind me what that intro is. My goodness. You used to say, hi, I'm Adele Roberts. I'm a a pilot. I've been with Virgin this amount of years. And also I'm a woman. (laughs) If anyone hadn't realised. Yeah. That's probably something we could, yes, I do. Well, it's probably something you could touch on because... I, I, I've had so many comments over the years, and I know I'm digressing away from your first um, from your first question, but <laughs> so many questions over the years about the fact that I'm a woman flying an aeroplane. And I think now it is far more normalised, but it, it still did used to be the case that you'd have a comment from a passenger, you know, such as, oh, there's a woman flying the plane, and in a surprise comment. Um, mm. and, and in addition to that, my next door neighbour to my parents, and this is, this is a famous anecdote that I use constantly, my next door neighbour to my parents, the, the, the chap that, that lives next door, had said to my dad one day, but they don't lie without a man, do they? Oh my and and of course my dad you know being my dad and defending his daughter was like yes of course they do and the and the answer to that question really is yes of course they do and I have flown many all-female flight deck flights and it's it's actually really lovely to fly with another woman very uh, I don't know the way we communicate is quite different so there's this constant dialogue constant feeding of information and the days out that I've with female colleagues have been you know extremely memorable and I've, I've enjoyed them and I do remember on your course the, the the course that I taught with you for many years mm-hmm. we had a comment one day at the end of the course about our pilots and I, I still don't want to fly with a female pilot, but I will fly with you. Well, I, I think that's like, a massive. Okay. <laughs> I, do, I, remember, I remember several fe- nervous females used to say, and bear in mind, we'd always have more women in the audience than men, which is a whole nother topic. But I, I remember many women coming up to me saying, I just feel more comfortable if there's a male voice. Mm, and I, yeah. and I and she said, I'm embarrassed to say it as a woman. I said, and I used to when I was feeling brave, I said, yeah, you should be embarrassed. Why would you, what difference does it make? Yeah. And so the question that occurs that begs itself for me is why such a small proportion of pilots are female? I mean, it's still a small amount, even though it's increasing. Yeah, it's an excellent question, Paul. And I have looked into this a lot over the years because obviously I get this question quite often. And I actually got involved with a STEM piece, a science, technology, engineering and mathematics Mm. promotional activity when I was at Virgin Atlantic. And it was actually really interesting. It drove me to have a look at a lot of the background behind 
women and women feeling comfortable and confident in STEM subjects. And the research that I got into went all the way back to school. And it found that women, well, women, young girls lost confidence in STEM subjects at quite an early age. So for them to choose those careers later in life, Mm. they would have had to be supported by their, you know, their teachers, their parents, but really driven to keep on with those Mm. subjects. And that's one of the things that, you know, I've really, really taken forward and looked at. And when I'm doing STEM promotional activity for for anyone, I used to do it for Virgin Atlantic, you know, hopefully going forward, I might be be asked to do that for the Civil Aviation Authority. But it's something really important is getting, capturing the, at the right age and targeting the age groups that are going to be the ones that listen to you and be inspired by you. Now, there is something that uh, I should tell you that you might not know. So well, not, on... I don't know, Adele, this is coming from you, but carry on. <laughs> On one of our lovely courses that we used to teach together, we had a young girl come through with her mum. And it was her mum that was, she was fearful of flying. I remember. Um, do you remember? And, and she came with her mum to support her. Do you know what that young girl does now? She's a pilot. Excellent. Who did she fly for? Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to divulge it. If she wants to come forward, then I'll... All right, I'll, okay. I'll, yeah, All right. Well, she'd yeah. be very welcome to come on here. <laughs> I would like to speak to more female pilots, actually you know thousands of male ones I know and (laughs) I don't know many female pilots and so I would love to get more on here and female engineers and engineers generally but just people you know to show a a real mixture that it's not a gender specific role is it no no it most definitely is a gender specific role no you're absolutely right and it's not that you know women are looked at in a negative light in the industry it's just women don't choose the career Mm. which is what I'm you know what I'm getting at with the whole STEM promotion is targeting at the right age so people you know that are inspired from a young age continue to be inspired and take that through to their adult life and their careers. Tell us your story then. Yes so so I was going to say and that's the segue back to the first It was a good segue yeah I thought should I leave the segue to happen I thought what if you go off on some other tangent and then you know anyway with respect. I don't often go on at tangents do I? I? No I'm a very focused person Paul You you know this. I do. No, I just have, I'm conscious that I have a lot to tell you because it's been a while since we, mm, we saw each other. Mm. Yeah, so so I'm back to the beginning. So I'm I'm one of those those people, uh, crazy or not, you could call me, that has had just aviation in my blood my entire life. Go to my earliest memory of going on holiday, best bit, always the aeroplane. When we're going home, because I want to get on the aeroplane again. <laughs> that person who absolutely loves flying. Mm. You know why? What was it that caught imagination? I don't know. At that age, I think, well, I really enjoyed takeoff that age. It was that whole kind of feeling of, you know, the thrust going on the engines Mm. and the being pushed back into your seat. And it just used to make me smile. Really, I mean, yeah, you you can probably hear it in my voice now, but it's it's taking me back to that to that feeling of just yeah flying's just the feeling yeah. of flying is wonderful well, it's magic isn't it well i well, believe it's not magic. so I mean, it's physics but i mean it is physics but it's magic oh as right well. quite yeah i get your point yeah it's physics it happens every time yeah but no um, it is magic. But yeah, it is it's magic. magic yeah 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 but not magical in in like a harry no. potter way no there yeah. is holding okay. it up there or anything no no well it does need air to hold it up there paul you know that it is there but not fairies 
no need quite yet. Yeah. No fairies, lots of air, yeah. lots of air flow over the wing. Have we direct again there? No. Are you sure? So, yeah, anyway, so you like to take off. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, rewinding. Yeah, I just love going on holiday, really, but for the flight. And then oh, I guess the next, like, big event that happened aviation-wise was my brother got a scholarship, the Royal Air Force, a flying scholarship. So they paid for him to learn to fly. And once he got his private pilot's licence, he'd take me flying with him. And I was only 14 at this time. So a very, very impressionable age. Yes. So yeah, 14 when I learned to fly an aeroplane. And then I went off and did my GCSEs and my A-levels. And I always had it in the back of my mind that this flying thing, I really enjoyed it. But that was my brother. That was my brother's passion. And I didn't want to be copying my brother. It's very difficult to know at a young age what you want to do for the rest of your life. Mm. You know, I know we have like careers advice and teachers are brilliant at inspiring us, but it, it is difficult to make a choice at, I don't know what it would be, school either 16 or 18 or yeah. 21 if you're lucky enough to get into university. You know, even at those ages, it, it is hard. And I, and I meet adults, you know, in their 40s having a, a change of career because they didn't choose wisely or something that they loved when they were when they were younger. So I was conscious that perhaps I was just copying my brother. So I did pursue my own path, went through university. When I left university, I wanted to fly. So I joined uh, British Midland and I joined British Midland as a cabin crew member. And that was a fabulous, fabulous job, as you rightly know. And then the pilots at work at British Midland, they were all very excited to tell me about their experience of coming to jobs in the flight deck. And a few of them were cadets that had come through the cadetship scheme that British Midland had at the time. And they all encouraged me to pursue a cadetship. So I applied for a few. I got to the latter stages of a few. And in the end, I decided to go and do my airline transport license, but pay for it myself. Now, as Ooh. I, as you know... It is very expensive. And that was in Australia, that course. And I ended up out there with the British Airways cadets. That's where they were sending their cadets at the time. And there was, I think there was six of us on my course, which was private cadets running alongside the airline sponsored cadet ships. And we had, as I said, British Airways. We also had uh, South African Airways, Cathay Pacific and... Royal Brunei. Royal Brunei was the other mm. course that was running at the same time. So that was a wonderful place to learn to fly. Yeah, I was going to um, say that. Amazing. The, the, the navigation exercises that we had to do were, were wonderful. I mean, if you can imagine the weather, although on the days where it was really hot, it got too hot to fly. So, <laughs> and they had dust storms as well, which was red dust obviously come down from the center of Australia you know where Ayers Rock is and you couldn't fly on the red dust days either because it reduced the visibility but the majority of the time the flying was was yeah. absolutely spectacular to some incredibly interesting places and uh, yeah made some wonderful friends and then came back from Australia with my shiny new license to be a commercial airline pilot and I had three interviews with UK airlines and I got offered all three jobs 
So I tried to do that. Isn't more, let's just time. pause on that <laughs> set. You know, that's that's phenomenal in itself. Because I've yeah, I've coached pilots who've been trying to get into airlines, and I said it's about a numbers game. And you've you've gone for three and got all three. That's yeah. that's phenomenal. Yeah, it, it it really was. I was very very fortunate because, you know, the aviation industry in terms of pilot recruitment, it you know it definitely goes up and down, and there is. Mm. You know, certain people that will have success stories like that because they came, you know, they just happened to get their license at the point where aviation industry was on on a steep recruitment drive, you know, on a, on a increase in activity. So I was lucky. I was lucky that I came out of I came out with the commercial license at absolutely the right point. So that was 2000. And I yeah, I didn't attempt to try and fly all three jobs at the same time so I took the job with British Midland who I'd been working for as cabin crew my first job was flying a jet called a Fokker jet just a small one you know little engines on the tail at the back wonderful aircraft fly loved that mm. and then we started up, Adele, so um, I got cut across there how cool was it to go back to that airline you'd started with in a completely new job like you know check out my new unit that must have been a great yeah that, that, yeah that felt very special what I'd done the whole time I was doing my commercial licenses I'd stayed in close contact with a lot of people there so mm. they knew what I was doing and they knew that I was going to be coming and asking for a job once I'd finished so that connection always remained so it was nice to have their support yeah. all the way through and it felt good I mean the the first flight I did in the aircraft so I'd been through the simulator phase at this stage to to get the type rating onto my license and then the first flight I did we literally just did circuits at East Midlands Airport with the aircraft and that felt amazing because this is the first time that I've owned a very big aeroplane I said at the beginning it was a small one it's still a lot bigger than what I've been flying in in pilot training but nothing compared to the first time that I landed that aeroplane with passengers sitting behind me. And that was quite an experience. And I could feel the, I had to choose the right word. It's like, I could feel the gravity of, oh yeah, I can't find the right word for it. It just, it felt Mm. so. Felt what, what the sort of the enormity of, the situation or what, what I, I did yeah I did I was yeah I'm still lost words because I think no, it's just a right, no it, it's a feeling that I can <laughs> rush it's a feeling that <laughs> I can I can bring to mind when I think about that that flight mm. and just having yeah having people sat behind me first time relying on me to to do a good job and be a you know and be that professional airline pilot it was that realization I think you know, this is me. I'm, I, I've made it. I'm, I'm an well, airline pilot. I've asked other pilots this, right? And I just want to see if it's the same for you. That I'm, so do you think about all those hundreds of people behind you every time you fly? And other pilots have said mm. something. And I'll tell you what they said when I hear what you said. <laughs> that first time that I flew passengers, so the, first very, the very first time I flew passengers with a commercial airline, I felt mm. it. I yeah. absolutely did. And then I think every time after that, it was me first because yeah, if, I'm okay, if I'm okay yeah. everyone else is okay Perfect. so if you put yourself first <laughs> mm. in a non-selfish way of course yeah. you put yourself first if you look after your own life you are going to look after everyone else's life that's yeah. sitting behind you and relying on you yeah I think that's a healthy way to do it because it would be overwhelming wouldn't it 
Yeah, yes. If you thought every time you went out and che- checked everybody and go, oh my God, I'm responsible for that one and that one and that one. It's just too much <laughs> to get your head around, isn't it? Yes, particularly if you're flying something like a 380 that's got, well, let's say this 380 is completely fitted out with economy class. That's a lot of people to go around and a consider. Lot of yeah, mm. a lot of humans. Yeah, so that was that aircraft. And then we started up a low cost carrier called BMI Baby. And I put my hand up and volunteered to go and fly that airline, which was wonderful again, just wonderful. Mm. Mm. And that was the 737, which remains my favorite aeroplane, I think. Because? Because. Was, you can't leave us hanging like that. It's Adele's it, it, favourite airline. It's my uh, airline, airline, aircraft. Air, aircraft. Adele's favourite aircraft. <laughs> yeah, Adele's favourite aircraft is the 737 because it was just so easy to fly. And it felt almost like flying a giant version of what I'd learnt to fly on. Mm. So I'd learnt to fly on like a Cessna style aircraft. And the 737 just translated so perfectly from small aeroplane to big aeroplane, right. but felt, right. felt the, the same to fly. Yeah. And, and for that reason, yeah, you know, really felt connected to the aeroplane when you flew it. But it's like when people talk about, you know, a lot of the pilots at Virgin used to love flying. We had an aircraft that was called, of course, like MIA which was a really early version of the 747s, wasn't it? It was like they liked it because it was a bit more basic and they felt like they were flying, even though it was still high tech, et cetera, et cetera. But they preferred it to some of the later ones because they felt like it was much similar to what they'd learned in, you know? I mean, I I would akin the 737 to a a tractor, really. It was was very (laughs) easy, easy to operate. Whereas, you know, we have a lot of computer-driven aircraft now which need a lot more systems knowledge. The more effort that we put into safety and, and adding in additional layers of safety into flight deck, the more systems knowledge the pilots need to have. So it becomes a more complex piece of kit to operate and requires more training. But it's all in the name of safety. So yeah. it, must, it must keep improving. It must keep, keep driving forward so that we get to the safest point that we possibly can in, mm. in aviation. So next, 737, so favourite aircraft. Yeah, next. Then then what happened? Oh, yeah. Then then I put my hand up to go and fly out of Heathrow for British Midland. And that was on the Airbus. That was my first Airbus licence that I did. And that was on the A319, A320 and A321. We flew all three yes. types. And then I'd been, oh, I don't know, maybe it's about, 18 months down at Heathrow by Virgin because at the time Virgin Atlantic they had a minimum hours requirement and I just reached that magic amount of hours so I applied got the interview got the job the the aircraft that I got at Virgin my first one was the Airbus 340 so that's the really big one that Virgin had with the four engines yeah but in Um, the same family that you were kind of trained in I guess in an Airbus, in Airbus yes. language, yes. So yes. the Air, the Airbus aircraft all have a layer of similarity between them, which makes it very easy for a pilot to transition from one air, Airbus to another Airbus. In mm. fact, some of the Airbus courses, instead of doing a full type rating that may take you three months, say, there'll be an Airbus course that is just a differences course between the Airbus that you were flying to the Airbus that you're yes. now going to be flying. And it, it makes the training a lot a lot easier from an operator's perspective. Mm. So the type rating for those who aren't up on it is when you go on to a particular aircraft because pilots stay on one aircraft type 
must say it's a tight rating so they can't just although you could fly other you're trained in that particular one and that's all the mm. systems that you've learned is it so some people listen to this know more about aviation than i'll ever know and others are listening and kind of finding their way into it going kind of how does it all work and stuff yeah. that's why i was doing that little bit of extra quite right paul and i think you know you could you could the way to imagine it probably would be okay i've got a license to drive uh, a hgv lorry but this hgv lorry has some special systems on board and i need some training in how to operate those special Mm -hmm. systems and then that would be the the type rating the systems knowledge add-on to your license very good honestly you should look for a career in Perhaps educating people. Do you think? <laughs> this is part, part of what Adele's story is, by the way. So that's an in-joke there. Uh, so, yeah, keep going. So, yeah, join Virgin. Yeah, okay. So I joined, I joined Virgin and you've just given me another lovely segue there, Paul. So after being at Virgin for a number of years, I became a trainer. And I train in a subject called human factors, which is the non-technical element of aviation. It's, it's used all around lots of other industries so you may have come across it or your listeners may have come across it perhaps in the medical sector or in the nuclear sector but it, it is basically looking at where the human failure is in the system really so for example you might look at is the human under stress could that impact their performance yes. is the is the human tired should they really be flying an aeroplane you know, those are the kind of questions that we seek to address and use that to drive safety performance across aviation industry. So I oh, thank you very much, Paul. (laughs) It's like I've said it before, (laughs) maybe once or twice. And I've trained in that subject now for 14 years. However, coming on to the next bit of the story, due COVID, I sadly lost my job as pilot in October. And I was very fortunate because I know so many people have been impacted in such a negative way by COVID, loss of loved ones, loss of careers, and, and, and we could go on for forever about the impacts that COVID's had on society. Anyway, I was very fortunate to have this transferable skills in, in the sense that I've been a trainer so long and I got a job at the civil service in training which was a fabulous experience because you think about it I've been in aviation since 1998 and I've got no experience anything outside of that really so it was learning a new language it was learning a new organization it was learning a new organization virtually which I'm sure a lot of people have done as well yes you know through this media through either you know like zoom or or teams and then it was training people virtually as well so uh, another thing that I learned due COVID is how to do this remote uh, training activity which I'm sure you you have yourself Paul being yeah, a trainer just a little bit yeah just a little bit yes <laughs> probably we spent our entire lives in front of our computers for the screens, last. yes yes yeah so that was good and then um and then I saw my perfect job advertised at the CA my perfect perfect job okay so, and, what's, so um, what's what is your role job so I am um, the and I, and I still feel a bit like this so applied for the job back in I think it was December and it, it's been such a long drawn out process I kept thinking oh I'm not going to get it I'm not going to get it but this is my perfect job I really need to get this job mm. and it wasn't until the day that I actually started that I really believed it 
Because if you think about what I've done for my entire life and all of the thousands and thousands of people that I've flown around the world, yeah. round yeah. and round the world. Yeah. And, you know, now I feel that I have the most important job that I've ever had. So even more important wow. than, you know, so give, us the, fright. give us the title again, because I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't catch that. That was cool. <laughs> yes. It, and it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't say what it does on the tin very well. So I will have to, to describe it a little further Go to on you, then. but let's give it a we'll try. Performance based oversight lead. Wow. Thank you. I'm very proud. Yeah. I well, know in all exciting though that you're still yeah. excited. You've been in, I am since being, you know, diddy like in the takeoffs more than the holiday. Uh you've you're still excited about commercial aviation and now I you am. found you you're even more excited working for the CAA, you know, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. So what do you do then now? So so I work within the performance-based regulation team. And performance-based regulation, really, what it what it actually means is it's a means of developing a comprehensive risk picture within the organisations that we regulate. So the CA is the regulator of the UK air industry. And my team really, really works to make this comprehensive risk picture across industry. Basically, we are here to protect the public. It is a pu- public service role that I'm doing, which is why I feel so proud to be in this role, because it's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. You know, the years that I've spent safety promotion and really trying to drive safety in industry. And now I'm in a pivotal role where I actually can Amazing. make a, a tangible change. So, yeah, so we're, we are here in the interest of the public. And basically, we've got three main objectives. And that is we will keep the public safe in aeroplanes. We will keep the public safe in helicopters and we will keep the public safe on the ground. OK, so awesome. it basically means any time someone, person or persons come anywhere near aviation, we are ensuring that we keep them safe. Brilliant. But furthermore, so outside the UK, we act to reduce the likelihood of UK citizens becoming involved in aviation accidents anywhere in the world. And we do that by influencing global aviation safety as well. So we work with other national aviation authorities to drive safety improvements across the world. Such as FAA, I'm assuming. Or... Yes, quite right. There's quite a lot of listeners from the podcast all over the world. So they'll, they might have heard of the CAA, but they definitely would have heard of the FAA. And I know there's lots of there's and I was Googling this before when I was doing my book last year, all the different authorities in the different countries. Most of them finish with AA at the end of it, with then a couple of bits at the beginning, which are slightly different. Yeah, <laughs> right. Have I done that down too yeah. much? So, well, so we the, call them NAAs, which is National Airworthiness Authorities. Oh, I like um, that. that's but, a new acronym. I didn't have that one. Yes, and exactly. I can, I can throw that in and look. So how does the CAA ensure the aviation industry meets the highest safety standards? So we, we've got a safety, how practically how do you do it? Well, we have a plan, right? Everyone's got a plan, right? And our plan is how we satisfy ourselves that aircraft are properly designed, properly ma- maintained, properly manufactured, properly operated. So really, really thinking about the big picture around the whole industry. So we'll look at flight crew, we'll look at air traffic controllers, we'll look at aircraft maintenance, and we need to make sure that they're appropriately trained, appropriately qualified, and that licensed aerodromes are safe to use, air traffic services and general aviation activities 
meet the required safety standards and that any new emerging technology doesn't then introduce further risk that's unacceptable to us. And we work really hand in hand with industry to achieve all this and drive the highest possible safety standards. So the anything that goes on an aircraft, goes near an aircraft, anything like that, has to be approved by the CAA. Is that what you're saying? So the way we regulate is through performance-based regulation or risk-based regulation, if you like. So we look at the safety risk and the performance of each airline or air traffic control service that that we regulate. And we use that to make safety improvements. So we have a team of experts that will go out and have a look at the safety of the entities, we call them, which are an entity would be, for example, British Airways, for example, Heathrow Airport. Um, So that would be an entity. So our inspectorate, so our inspectors will go out and they will look at these entities in detail and they will assure themselves of the safety aspects surrounding that entity yeah so so that sounds like great news for people who have a fear of flying because you think about you know people like you and your colleagues doing that all the time and that's massively reassuring isn't it Yes, and we and we do nothing but that in my team. We do nothing but, you know, collate safety information about the entities that we regulate. And then we put all of that information that we have together to form this comprehensive risk picture of each entity. What do you say is the main helpful messages for, for anyone with a fear of flying to think about when they're, if they are taking a flight under the umbrella of the CAA? What would you say is the the helpful message for people well I think it's the same message that I've banged on out for years Paul to be honest is that people really don't need to worry about the safety of aviation because the professionals the subject matter experts the pilots everybody working behind the scenes to make your flight safe we are constantly constantly thinking about safety and thinking how we can make the the industry safer Mm. That's a great message, isn't it? To think of, so think the next time you're flying and you're thinking, I'm getting on this aircraft and what this, what that. Just imagine there's people like Adele, professionals with Adele's background and different backgrounds, but all working just to make the flights safe. And I think that's massively reassuring, isn't it? Yeah. And you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. There is a lot of people doing the thinking so that our, you know, the public that are coming coming on aeroplanes don't need to worry about the safety because it's been thought of for them amazing so what's next for you then you're in your dream role now i mean this is i am i I, I want to i want to enjoy this role and i want to see i want to see that i'm managing to do what i want to do which is to drive safety improvement across industry and then i then i don't know after that paul i may have a long happy career at the ca this is a great thing, but what I love about your story is that you feel like you've sort of followed your heart in the early days. You've then gone and thought, oh, I better do the traditional, like go to uni and do all that stuff. But then you come straight back and go, no, airline's where it's at. And you've just, yeah. through your perseverance, enthusiasm, hard work, whatever you want to call it, you've got, you've done this amazing journey. And even when you've gone for all that stuff last year, which was not pleasant for a lot of people you've managed to because your versatility you've found a role working in the civil service as a trainer and then you've moved 
into the TAA doing your dream job. So it's just, it's just awesome. It's an awesome story. I'm, I'm very grateful for you sharing it. Thank you, Paul.